All right. Okay. It's setting it up. It should be ready here in a moment. Looks like we are live. So good morning to those who are joining us on Facebook and good morning to you all. Happy Mother's Day. It is good to see your faces. It was fun to hear the conversations and just watching everyone uh, check in on each other and please continue to do so. Uh, if you are visiting online or through Zoom, uh, we would love to get to know you, know that you're participating with us in worship, uh, making do with the best we can um, in the midst of this COVID stuff. But really that's the goal as, we, as we're gonna learn about later today, Jesus joins a whole group of people together who were strangers to, to be loved by God and by one another in, in a family to follow Jesus together. So we would love to get to know you as we go through this process and how we can also help you if you're stuck home and alone like the rest of us, <laughs> that, that's all of us. So please, please reach out through Facebook message or hang out after the, the talk. We'll be glad to, to catch up with you. Got a couple announcements before we begin. I wanna invite anyone who's interested here and on, on Facebook, we're gonna, I'm gonna host another Psalms class. I wanna met, take, take some time to meditate on Psalm 29 with a group of people because it not only teaches us how to read Hebrew poetry and, and the Psalms, uh, it gives us a beautiful meditation on, on who God is in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials and troubles. So that'll be this Thursday evening at 7 p.m read psalm 29 ahead of time that would be helpful but it's not necessary i will i'll try to get a, a handout of the psalm so you can get something you can write on because we're gonna this is gonna be a good it's an interactive time of teaching so look out for that um second i mean everybody in in the country right now is is looking for and longing to open up uh, to get some kind of semblance of normal so we are have been talking about as elders, we met this past week. And so one of the questions we have going forward for you and we'll, we'll be in touch is when we open with social distancing and all of the different restrictions that come with that, will you be willing to come? That, that first Sunday we're free. So that way we know how many people we're, we're trying to, to manage in the sanctuary at one time and, and just prepare accordingly to keep you safe because we love you and wanna keep you safe and uh, and be able to worship and, and see people and have conversations in person. So the elders are planning to reach out to you in particular, so I'm just giving you a heads up so you can think about it. And uh, like I said, this is, as, as we get a plan and we get a date and Saratoga County's lumped in with the capital district, so our opening, it seems to be tied to the capital district being able to open. Um, we're, we're in limbo with the rest of you, but we will do our best to communicate as much as we can as we go forward. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out to any one of the elders, to Brandon, who's in training as well. Uh, we're, we're having these conversations. It's gonna be a great time to see people in person, to replace stuffed animals with real people <laughs> that I have in the chairs right now, but it's also gonna be strange for a long time. And so it just helps to mentally prepare for that. It's not, we're going to an abnormal normal again whenever we're set free. And then lastly, I'm gonna try something a little bit different after the service. I mean, we're gonna do the breakout rooms so you can continue to have those conversations. But if the sermon uh, sparks some kind of questions, I'd like love to hear them before you forget them. 
And so I'm going to send anyone who wants to to a breakout room. But if you would like to talk about the sermon immediately after the service, I'll hang out. I won't join a breakout room and you can we can have that conversation. Um, I just found that as I was preparing, there was way too much information to cover in, in one one shot. So if you don't want to do the breakout rooms, just don't accept the request and you'll stay out in the main main session with me. All right. Well, we are here to worship. We're here to have God speak to us in his word through song and through prayer. And so take a moment now to pray and ask God to help you focus on the many wonders of the gospel of Jesus and his word spoken to you today. I'll add my good morning to Nate's. If you'll join me, we'll start with a call to worship. This is from Psalm 62 and Matthew 11. Let's hear the call to worship. Little boy voices in the background. All right, let's, let's hear the call to worship. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let us come now to Jesus, gentle and lowly in heart, who loves the weary and heavy laden. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you sent Jesus gentle and lowly. He bears our burdens and hears us when we cry out to him. We love you for the care that you've shown to us through these many years, through, for some of us, our entire lives of following you and knowing you. Father, may you continue to be gracious to us in this time of upheaval and to help our hearts to find peace and joy in you. We thank you that you take care of us as a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings and we thank you especially for the mothers that you've given to each and every one of us to bring us joy and peace in this world. Thank you for your love for us. May our hearts be glad in you and find rest and peace in you. Amen.
ready to sing? All right, well, let's sing in Christ alone. Yep. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Oh. There keeps a popping up a phone on here. Is somebody trying to bust? Christ alone, who took one flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross. Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the depth of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by God. It's good to see everybody today. We're going to uh, start having uh, this back in our services each week of uh, praying together and um, having a shepherding prayer so that we we beseech the Lord and entreat the Lord's uh, love and, and uh, kindness and uh, bringing us all together uh, on this Sunday. So um, we are certainly going to Remember, folks who are in um, uh, in, in trials, uh, those who are suffering physically, those who are struggling with um, different kinds of issues in their life. We certainly 
if you have those things going on and uh, we aren't aware of it, please let us know uh, the session, Pastor Nate, myself, so that we can be praying for you and uh, uh, lifting you up as we do these prayers together. We can certainly try to uh, uh, do all we can uh, to to bring continually bring those before the Lord. And so uh, I ask you to join me now in, in prayer. I'm going to start off with uh, with a model of a prayer from our dear dear saints, the Puritans. So bow our heads and let's pray together. O Spirit of God, help my infirmities, for I am pressed down with a load of sorrow, perplexed and not knowing what to do, made to feel the weight of the cross. Help me, I pray to you, Lord. If you see in me any wrong that any wrong thing encouraged, any evil desire that I cherish, any delight that is not your delight, any habit that grieves you, any nest of sin in my heart, then, Lord, grant me the kiss of your forgiveness. Teach my feet to walk in your commandments and make me a happy, holy person. Help me to walk the separated life with firm and brave step and to wrestle successfully against weaknesses. Teach me to praise, adore, and magnify you with the music of heaven and make me a fragrance of praiseful, of praiseful gratitude to you. I do not crouch at your feet as a slave before a tyrant, but before you as a child with a father. Give me power to live as a child in all of my actions. Preserve me from the intoxication that comes from prosperity. Sober me when I am glad with the joy that comes not from you. Lead me safely on to the eternal kingdom, not asking whether the road be rough or smooth. I request only to see the face of him I love, to be content with ordinary things of life, if I can be brought to your house in peace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great model of a prayer today that you've given to us. We, we lift before you today our hearts as we are glad as we have started this morning at looking at faces and laughing and talking to one another and missing one another. Yet, Lord, already sharing the sorrow for those who are struggling uh, for so many ways and so in so many ways and so many reasons, Lord. We come before you today knowing that this opportunity of prayer came at a cost, that your word tells us that by the blood of Christ, by his death, by your giving of yourself, Jesus, you have given us an access to the very heart of your Father. So thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us and pray that as we come upon this hallowed, hallowed time and holy day and holy space, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunity to draw closer to you as in a mystical, spiritual way, you draw us closer to each other. And Lord, we long for that day when we will be able to at least be in the same space with one another, if not uh, as intimate as we desire. But Lord, we pray for that day to come soon and safely as well. 
So keep us from keep us safe and healthy up until that day, Lord, and and then ongoing as well. So Father, we we realize that the the cost of coming to you cost the life of Christ. And Lord, as we know in our services each week, we pray and ask for confession of sin. And Lord, your word tells us that we are purified from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. And upon doing that, Lord, we are given the assurance of, of this pardon that we receive, this, as the Puritans told us today, the kiss of your forgiveness. So we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray as we, we struggle with righteousness in our life, as we struggle to walk the way that you desire us to walk, that we realize that alongside of us, you are with us and that you are not judging us, but that you are encouraging us and that you are holding us and that you are guiding us along each of our own walks of life. Lord, some of us at this point of our life is, are not, is not full of lots of burdens other than this struggle with trying to keep healthy and safe but Lord, I'm on top of that, there are personal, internal strife, personal struggles that we have. And we pray that we would lift them up to you, Father, because your word tells us that we should cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would do that uh, for us again today. And Father, for those who are in need of healing in so many different ways, Lord, we pray that you would be with them, be with their doctors, be with their medication, be with them, Lord, and be with us as we walk, waiting for you uh, to work in our life the way that you desire, Lord. We pray that you give us these words to be able to pray because of Christ, because of the, because of the word of God that you've given us the opportunity. We've given us the symbols and we've given us all the, the, the uh, pictures of what it is to come before you people who do not deserve the right to come before you. How can evil people come to a pure and holy God? And Lord, you've made it possible through your son, Jesus. So we bring all of these cares before you now, thanking you for all that you give us. And Lord, we pray for your blessing upon Pastor Nate, upon the rest of our service today, that we realize by, by, by your word, you work through the spirit. And through the spirit, you work in your word. And we thank you for that, Lord. So we do not take this lightly, this portion of our day on this Sabbath. So we ask you to sanctify it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Nick Stokes is going to help us. Um, confess our faith together. We're going to read Isaiah 58, and uh, there's all kinds of beautiful things here of, of reminding us that we are, <laughs> well, I, there, there's too much in here to, to summarize. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to say, this is the fast that I choose to treat your neighbor the way you would treat your own flesh and family. And that, that's, the, that's the kind of lifestyle the gospel is forming us into. So, Nick, will you read it for us, please? Thank you. Sure thing. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. 
Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? We have, why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. In such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes upon him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you take back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you. It's the word of our God. As we hear God speak to us, I mean, you can feel when you read that as, do I see my neighbor like family that I'm obligated to love and care for, uh, to, to do justice? And then the answer is, not all the time, sometimes rarely. And so we come as, a, as God's gift to us to confess our sin together. And something I've been learning while, while being stuck at home is, is confessing our sin as one way to have God's heart drawn to you in your particular struggle, your particular failure, your particular rebellion. His mercy is applied to specific things to draw near to you as a sinner and to me. And so this is a time where we receive the grace of our God in Christ Jesus, as we say together, I'm not perfect, only Jesus is. And so Psalm 51 is going to help us do that. So I'm going to read it and we can pray, uh, pray together. 
and there'd be a time to silently talk to Jesus himself, who is, who is interceding for us and praying for us. Let's pray together. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Teach us now to take Jesus's yoke of kindness upon ourselves, Lord, for he has drawn to our broken spirits and contrite hearts. Thank you, Lord, for being gentle and lowly in heart, unashamed to dwell with sinners like us. Hear our cries now. Amen. So take a moment now to talk and pray directly to Jesus. Um, both Psalms and Ephesians are saying his love is on you as you confess. Hear these great words of encouragement. It's an assurance of pardon. It's getting our eyes off of ourselves and our sin and our suffering and looking at Christ. It's from Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Rest in Christ's finished work for you. All right, so I want to take a moment to teach the kids. We're learning the Lord's Prayer together. So if you're a kid type, uh, I'd love to see your face. And it would be fun to hear from you briefly. I'll give you a moment, but last week we learned about our prayer starting with our Father. We get to talk to God as our, our Father, and that is that's an amazing privilege. And today we're going to learn about this, this phrase called, hallowed be your name. And I am fairly certain that nobody said, I want you to hallow my name at any point in this week, <laughs> right? To be, to be hallowed, we don't use that word anymore. And so what are we praying? What are we asking God to do when we say, hallow your name? Well, another way to say it would be, make your name holy. God, make your name known. 
So here, here's one of the ways I thought about it that I think would be helpful for you for your kids, right? So I'm, I'm, I think CJ is here. I know Edmund is. Uh, if you think about all of your friends, the way you get to know them is because they have a name. You connect your relationship to them, your friendship to their name, right? So when I think of CJ, I see CJ's face. When I think of Edmund, I think of Edmund's face. And in one sense, I'm hallowing your name by recognizing that you are who you are. I don't call you Methuselah or Tim or Steve or Bill, right? You're CJ. So when we pray, God, hallow your name, make your name holy, we are asking God, well, help other people know you. Help me know you. Help me know you by name. This is a personal relationship. Right? Help me hallow your name in my heart, which means let me know you, love you, care about what you say and think. Uh, it could also be uh, hallow your name as thinking about other people. This is a prayer for other people too. May they know God by name. And the way God reveals himself to be known by name in the Bible is through Jesus. So whenever you pray, our Father in heaven, hallow be your name. Think about it as God, may people know you by name and talk to you. May they know Jesus. That's, that's one part of what that teaches. Um, may people Set God's name apart as holy, as special, as unique. He is the person who takes care of us, who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. We can trust him. So let's, let's say the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to pray it together. Everyone can join in. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, if you will turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're gonna, I'm going to read verses 16 to 19 here. We're going to hear the gospel using a lot of the Old Testament today. So that's partially why I wanted to set aside a time. If you want to ask questions, I can give a response as best as, best as I can. And if I don't know it, I'll send you to Pastor Jim, <laughs> put him on the spot. But like I said, we're moving through this great letter of Colossians. It's about how do you follow Jesus? It's about how do you live your Christian life? close to Jesus, and the way Paul talks about it is we are in Christ. We are in this union, this intimate relationship with Christ that uh, will take longer than we have right now to explain, but there's all kinds of different, Paul just keeps coming at it from a different angle. And so stay close to Jesus, and today, strangely enough, we're going to talk about how do we live together as the church. And I know it's going to be strange because we're not able to be in the same space at the moment, but uh, this, is, this is a trajectory. This is what Jesus is doing when he puts us together and teaches us how to live together, how to be knitted together. So let's, let's read Colossians 2, verses 16 to 19. It says, Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you assisting on, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love today. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, uh, we thank you for this grace that we have received, that we are connected to Christ's body, that we are so connected to him. He considers us his body. And so I just pray today that you would show us the bright, shining reality that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might be nourished and knit together in the love of our Savior and King. And so Spirit, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do that. You would come and teach us, use my words to reveal Jesus to our hearts and shape us into his image, all the while knowing that if we love one another and we love you, it's because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this, one of the things we've been studying before, well, before this COVID stuff hit was in our small groups, this book about how to follow Jesus called The Walk. And chapter two about discipleship 101 is this great question, do I have to go to church? Right? You didn't even want to wait to the end and then do the bait and switch. No, he's starting right at the beginning, right? What is, do disciples of Jesus, do followers of Jesus go to church? And Stephen Smallman writes, starts the chapter by referring to a book called, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. Right? And that, that's really the issue that we're, we're experiencing in this text, right? That, that many of us, people that don't go to church or have been to church and stopped going to church, they love Jesus. They're attracted to his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness. But when it comes to the church, it's a mess. There's anxiety, fear of judgment. We've got our own wounds, our own stories. And, and so that's, that's the context we're jumping into with this passage. And, and Paul makes clear here in our passage, two things that are helpful. One, that you need the church. That's at the end of verse 19. We belong to Jesus to grow together as his body. And it's not just me. It's us together being knit together as his body. And two, there is no perfect church. Hope Church is no exception. The church is made up of imperfect disciples. And you, you hear that in verses 16 and 18. There are people in Colossians who are passing judgment on things they should not pass judgment on. Uh, they're, they're, there's just judgy people making following Jesus difficult. And we're going to talk about those things this morning. Right. And then if you mix all that with your own insecurities and my own insecurities, right? Paul says, don't let no one disqualify you based on their spiritual experience. Uh, we're, we're an individualistic culture. We disqualify ourselves all the time in all kinds of ways. And we can talk about that. But that's why I've entitled this sermon, You Can't Judge Me, because Paul is going after and saying there are particular things that Christians should not judge other Christians on, which is going to help you be knitted together. He's giving us tools 
to help us navigate life as a church. How do you follow Jesus with other imperfect Christians? And in Colossians, it, it seems like in this very young church, I mean, it's not old, there's not that many. There are people who have come in and they're, they're acting like referees for Jesus. Right? If you ever watch a soccer referee, they run around, they blow a whistle and they hand out yellow cards. Uh, that's what they're doing. You know, you're not keeping Sabbath, yellow card. You're not, you know, have, you haven't had a vision of heaven yet. What's wrong with you? I have yellow card and they're just blowing their whistle, being obnoxious, making people feel unworthy. And so Paul is pushing back against that, saying, don't, don't let them condemn you unnecessarily. Don't let them disqualify you, right? Because, and this is, this is the theme we're in, into, Paul is pushing back against this thing called legalism. Uh, things where we elevate secondary issues to make them primary and we use them to, to push people away because they're not meeting our standards. And there's modern ways to do it that are also ancient in the Christian church. Um, th these are just a few I've witnessed. I'll just list a, list a couple to get your, to see this is not, even though the, the words are strange, we don't use these words. This is, this is highly relevant and, and real to where we live, right? Get into a conversation with any believers about tattoos. You may not, you can go to some churches and if you have a tattoo, they don't want you up front because you don't look holy. Uh, and get into a conversation about what do you eat or drink? Alcohol. Do you drink alcohol? It's a divisive issue sometimes. A Sabbath historically has been an issue. On how do you keep the fourth commandment? Right, it's one of the commandments. And I've been told don't laugh too loud, it's the Sabbath. Right. Or, or interestingly, you know, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, and, but I'm happy to go out to a restaurant and make someone else work on the Sabbath. <laughs> right. So we have those, those kind of conversations. We're in, like verse 18, we have people saying, I've had this amazing mystical spiritual experience. It's like I've been in heaven with God himself. Don't you want that experience? Read my book. Go on this journey of five steps with me. And the effect of all these things starts to make you feel judged for not having that experience or not participating that way or feeling uh, disqualified, like you're not a worthy member of Christ's body. And so let me just start as we talk about doing this church thing together. This is a longer introduction. Um, Paul is clear. These guys are in the wrong. And the Old Testament is clear. One thing that the Lord hates, and he uses that language. Uh, it's from Proverbs 6, 16 and following. He calls it an abomination. It's those who sow discord or conflict among the brothers. Those who ruin community. So if you're wounded by imperfect churches, God hates that. If you're wounded by imperfect Christians, God is frustrated with that when it's done poorly. It, it hurts because he's, his heart is on those who are wounded. So in our text, we're going to talk about how do you navigate when these things come up? How, how do we not be controlled by real and perceived judgment? Don't let anyone pass judgment on you and, and, and these things. 
don't let anyone disqualify you. And let's, let's start with point one, verse 16. Don't let anyone use these shadows that Paul describes to judge you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, regards to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. Uh, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what is, he, what is he talking about? I mean, it's a theological bombshell, and we're going to open this up. But at minimum, what Paul is saying is do not let anyone judge you based on a poor reading of the Old Testament. Right. Because what's happening is there are these Christians using the Jewish clean laws, eating and drinking, uh, the Jewish feasts and festivals, and the Sabbaths and the new moons to say, if you do not participate in these things, you are not fully Christian. And Paul's argument is, you're upset about shadows. You're missing out on the real thing. He's really arguing they don't, they don't know how to read their Old Testament. They're, they're missing out on who Jesus is. Right. The reason they're, they're judging is because they do not see Jesus and what he has done clearly. They're more obsessed with the shadows than the person that God's light is shining on, Jesus, the reality. And that's really the root of all judgment in any church, right? If I am, am judging others, it's rooted in a lack of understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for me as a sinner. Not to say there's no place for correction. That's a longer, another conversation. We're talking about judgment, feeling superior, condemning, pushing people down because they don't fit in. Treating them like Jesus didn't die on the cross for their sins. So we've got to ask, why are these Christians why are these followers of Jesus and Colossians getting so judgy over these food and festivals? Now here's what's interesting, right? We're gonna, this is gonna be a, how do you read your Bible kind of sermon, right? Eating, drinking, new moons, festivals, Sabbaths, all these things are commanded by God in the Old Testament. And in many of them, he says, this is a commandment to you forever, wherever you are for all generations. You can find this in Leviticus, right? So their argument is, well, God said it, so why wouldn't you do it? Right? But these, these feasts, these Sabbaths, uh, these new moons, these celebrations, how you ate, how you drank, what food, right? Eating kosher. All these things were, were public, visible rituals and practices that showed the world that you belong to, to the God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt, right? So in Israel, you were saved by grace alone. God saved you from slavery in Egypt. Therefore, here's how you show that you belong to this God of the Old Testament. You eat differently, no bacon, sorry, no pork, no kosher. Or you eat kosher, there's no shrimp. There's a whole list of food laws. And then there's seven feasts, these, these festivals, there's seven of them. Uh, how, do, how you spend your year, your holidays are all shaped by God's commandments. Your week is shaped by God's command. Rest every seven days on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And then every new moon, right? Every month, the first, the first new moon, that was also another festival. 
time to, to worship, to bring a sacrifice, a time to rest. And all these things in the Old Testament, I'll put it this way, this God-ordained calendar was designed to help Israel remember the Lord's grace to them. How he led them out of slavery and suffering in Egypt, how he provided for them in the wilderness, how he forgave them over and over again every day in the wilderness, how he carried them single-handedly like a father carries his child from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. And then these festivals help them see that God is still providing for them, still forgiving them, and still caring for them because they belong to Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Right. So the argument would be for, for these Jewish Christians, passing judgment is that God said it. Therefore, do it. <laughs> right, you can see where this conflict would come. Right, so enter Paul's bombshell. He says, by the way, he doesn't say they don't matter. He says they are good things, but they're shadows. All those things commanded by God, when you compare them to what we have right now in Jesus, they're just shadows. We have the reality. We have something better. Uh, the, the Greek word for substance is body. Right? It's always better to have a body than a shadow. Right? We belong to Jesus. Therefore, we are holy, which has something to say why we don't practice these feasts and festivals. But just think about that. Would you rather, this is the powerful argument, would you rather be hugged by a body or hug a shadow? Right? We're finally able to get back together and you don't go hug a person. You put your arms around their shadow. <laughs> it's not the same. All right, kids, you can try it. Go hug your mom and dad's shadow and then get a real hug. Tell me which one you like better. And right, if you're not culturally Jewish, this statement doesn't offend you, but as the way it would have the original Jewish hearers. But it goes even deeper. I mean, these, these festivals, the Sabbath, it's something God set up and organized at creation. And Paul is saying, Old Covenant Sabbath keeping, Old Covenant festivals, uh, they're shadows. I want you to feel the offense. I mean, just imagine if someone said to you, you know what, we don't need to celebrate any more American holidays uh, because they're just shadows compared to having President Trump or Obama, I have to make you all uncomfortable and get your blood pressure up. <laughs> you know, pick a president from the different party. Right? No more 4th of July, no more Memorial Day, no more Thanksgiving. Hey, why, why do we need a flag? We have this leader who's with us, who loves us. That's how the original hearers would be hearing Paul's words. This is, to the Jews who are listening, this is shocking. And so Paul says, do not let anyone judge you because of these Hebrew practices. You have Jesus. You have something better. He's more real. He's more sub substantive, someone you can touch and hug. Right? So we have to look then, what, what does that mean? Right? And so I think this will be helpful. I don't know if you've ever done this, of saying, what in the world were all these practices in the Old Testament, and how do they point to Jesus? And so that's, that's what I want to do next, is, is look at the reality we have in Christ 
And as we meditate on the gospel, this gospel doctrine, it'll, it'll show you how Paul is making room uh, for people to not pass judgment on each other. Right? Gospel doctrine, how you see Jesus, shapes the way we live together. And that's, that's the pattern here. So let's, let's go through what Paul talks about in verse 16. Uh, the festivals, the new moons, uh, the Sabbaths. I sent you a, a handout, which may help just to, there's a chart I printed out, just so you have something to look at. Um, and if not, I'll, I'll, we'll just, we're just going to walk through it, right? If you are a Jewish Christian in the Old Testament or a Jewish follower of God in the Old Testament, um, you would know that their calendar is different than ours. They say Happy New Year in March. Right? The, the beginning of the new, the, the, their calendar was arranged at seven months long um, and it began in March. So March 1st would be Happy New Year. But the whole calendar was telling the story of God's grace to them. How he saw their suffering, how he heard their cries, how he sent Moses and came down and redeemed and rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And what's interesting is their day, um, this new, first new moon of the new year. Right? That's the day that Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt. Right? And it would be a day of rest. And so every year, as the year began, one of these new moon festivals, uh, the first day of the year, they would remember we've been set free by God's divine love set on us. And he loves us because he loves us, not because there's anything special about us. It would have been a bonus Sabbath day, no work, no resting, or no work, resting and remembering God's goodness and grace. Um, that's how your New Year started as a, a Jewish follower of Yahweh. And it's connected to all these new moon days. There's one for every day of the Every first new moon was when their months started. A trumpet would blow. And it was a bonus Sabbath during the month. Uh, everyone got to rest. The animals, uh, the foreigners among you, the locals, everyone would chill out, eat, drink, rejoice in God's blessings, take sacrifices to the temple. Uh, the the trumpet was announcing good news, I'll put it that way, except for in October on the Day of Atonement when it was calling them to get ready uh, to, to prepare to, for repentance to have the, their sins dealt with, which we'll talk about. Right. So that was just, this is the structure, the ordinary way they lived. Uh, Passover was March 14th. All right, I mean, just, just trying to approximately, right, the, the date changes based on the moon. But Passover was telling the gospel in the Old Testament. Every Israelite knew the story that I too was a sinner, no better than the Egyptians. I was under the sentence of death, condemned, enslaved, but God in his abundant mercy had us take shelter under the blood of the lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish. And God's angel of death, his judgment came down and it passed over our house. We took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And because of that blood, we were spared. We received mercy. And we were set free. So the practice every year was to travel to Jerusalem to remember how God had been gracious to them 
to offer a spotless lamb in Jerusalem together with all of God's people, no matter where they were from. All right. Every year they were remembering God's grace. And then the day after that, the day after that Sabbath would begin the Feast of First Fruits. Um, this was on March, say, say March 15th, we'll put it that way. Uh, to kick off a week of feasting, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would bring a ceremonial first sheaf from their harvest uh, to give to God. And the practice of first fruits taught them that God provided, uh, not only did he provide everything we needed for salvation, uh, that we might belong to him, but this new year he continues to feed us and take care of us. If this world is enchanted, the Lord has something to do with the, the seasons, the, the, the rain, our crops coming up. So we're going to recognize on the, the, the Feast of First Fruits that God is a generous Father. He continues to feed us. He gives us what we need. We're a blessed people. And then that whole week, they would eat unleavened bread to remember how su sudden God's redemption was. God just he showed up, they were set free, they exited and, and, and headed on their journey to the promised land. And that's what the unleavened bread is about. We don't have time to make, to get the yeast in. We're just gonna throw this together because we're leaving. We're free, the chains have come off. And that was reminding them, God brought me from slavery into this land of abundance. All right, so. So that's interesting. It's a nice history lesson. What's that about? And, and this is what Paul is hinting at is saying, we have something better than that in Jesus. And so we got to ask, how do these three things connect to the reality we have in Christ? Well, here's what Christians say. We too were under the sentence of death, sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh meaning we didn't even want to do what God told us to do. But in Christ, our Passover lamb, the spotless lamb, the one who's holy, blameless, and without reproach, all our trespasses have been forgiven. And since Christ died once for all time, there's no need to celebrate Passover every year like the Jews because we have that full forgiveness. Right? And that, that's what the Gospel of John teaches you. Paul's very aware of this stuff. Right? The Gospel of John begins, here's Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John is very clear that Jesus died on the cross on the day of preparation during the time when the priest would be killing the lambs for the Passover celebration. Jesus is our spotless, better Passover lamb. And everyone who hides under his blood by faith, God's wrath passes over you, falls on Jesus, as you get to see what all that stuff was about in the first place. God giving us his firstborn son, his beloved son for us, so that we might be spared, so that we might belong to him now and forever into eternity. We don't need to celebrate Passover because the ultimate Passover already happened on Christ. 
Right. So that was the whole point. It was a shadow. So when God did give the spotless lamb, when he did send his firstborn son, uh, people would recognize it, recognize him. And if you're a Christian and you put your faith in the spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world, that's what Paul's been reminding you and telling us. This is the gospel you preach to yourself day in and day out. We are holy and blameless and above reproach in Jesus because of what happened to him. Right? That, that connects to the food laws then too. If you're already holy, you don't need to eat particular foods to show the world you're holy because of who you belong to. Right? We have been made invincibly clean in Christ Jesus, as one person put it. What about first fruits? Well, the first fruits are about Jesus. If Passover is not about us bringing a lamb to, to give to God, but God giving us his lamb, first fruits is not just about us bringing our harvest to him in the Old Testament. It's about God giving the, for us the first fruits of his work, right? Because Christ, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, he is described as the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. Colossians 1, the firstborn from the dead. And the, the beauty of what Paul is getting at is he talks about these festivals. He's saying we don't, we come to feast on God's gift of his resurrection. So that all those who are in him will fall asleep and rise again to eternal life. Festival of the first fruits is one way of showing us God's generosity, not only in giving us our daily bread, but in giving us the first fruits of his harvest among the nations of bringing followers to Jesus to raise them from the dead and heal them of their sin. I mean, just listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 20. I keep reading this. This is cool. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, connected to him, all shall be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, there it is, and then it is coming us, all those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after he puts all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be defeated is death. And that's what we're waiting for as we receive the first fruits. Right. See, starting to see the, the clearer picture we have in Christ that these shadows pointed to. You could talk about Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, depending on your translation. Would have happened in May uh, we don't have the exact day, but it was the day in, 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 in Israelite history when God gave the law to his people at Sinai. And it's seven Sabbaths after the Passover. And so this particular feast, you had to go to Jerusalem. You remember the poor, uh, the people who, the immigrants, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. It was a time to remember. You were a slave and God brought you to this land of plenty. Pentecost. Remind you that God is kind enough to tell you how to live in relationship with him. 
End of day to remember, he was generous toward you, therefore be generous to others. And so Christians, <laughs> what happened on Pentecost? That's when God gave himself, gave us himself, <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The spirit who gives us a new heart, who circumcises our heart, as Paul would say in Colossians, and then gives us that desire and ability to keep God's commands. And the same spirit who then knits us together in love for one another, who moves us to be generous to the poor as God was generous to you in Christ. And so that's what's so interesting about the first sermon after Pentecost. Is after the sermon, it preaches who God is and what he's done in Jesus. And Jesus is raised from the dead with the first fruit. The Holy Spirit comes. And then you get the description of the church that everybody loves. You ready? It says these first Christians were selling their possessions, their belongings, and distributing their proceeds to anyone who had need. And day by day, they would attend the temple. They would break bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Pentecost made them generous. Something Israel was not able to do in the Old Testament because they did not have the spirit in the same way we do. We have reality. <laughs> we have better. God gives us more in Christ. What about the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur. Well, that was the day when, when the priest would put all the sins on two goats, right? Symbolically, he would pray and put the sins of the people on these two goats. One goat would go outside the city into the wilderness, symbolizing your sin being removed as far as the east is from the west. And then the other goat uh, would be slain, and the blood of that goat uh, would go into the, the, the Holy of Holies, God's very throne room, to be put on the mercy seat so that when God sees his people, he sees the, the shed blood of this animal, and, and he would forgive them. Well, for us, it's one and done in Christ. We don't need to kill a goat every year, right? Jesus, who was crucified outside the city as the scapegoat. Um, that's, that's the book of Hebrews. Uh, Jesus, who is the great high priest who offers a better sacrifice, who, who died once for all time, who by one sacrifice has made us perfect, those he, who he is sanctifying, who he is changing. Hebrews 10, 14, right? We have, like I said, this is, this is the gospel promise. Those Christ saves, he will save to the uttermost because we have a better day of atonement when Jesus died. One more. Uh, the Feast of Booze, right? There's another one of these festivals, the Tabernacles. It was that time after the day of atonement when they would remember when they lived in tents in the wilderness. Uh, booths, tabernacles, same thing. It's remembering when God brought them through their own, their own sin, but also he provided for them in the desert, miraculously. So what they would do for a week is just camp out, eat fruit. They'd have tree branches, specifically tree branches that come from trees that grow close to the water. And so what they were symbolically doing was saying, let's go sit in a tent and remember how God gave us an Eden-like experience in the wilderness. 
God is with us, even in our mess. Remember how God also lived in a tent like us. Um, that's just one aspect of that feast. What about us now? Christians in Christ. If, if the Old Testament followers of God remembered how, how much God loved them to come down and dwell with them, to live in a tent like they were in a tent, what about us who have Jesus, the body? Jesus, who was called the tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. I mean, in our passage, Jesus is called the body. We are his body. We're connected to Jesus's head, who loves us the way he loves his own body. We, we have something even more substantive, greater than what the Feast of Booths was celebrating. God dwelling with us, like us. He became human even to death on a cross. I'm just giving you a big overview. I don't know if you've ever thought about these things. And we haven't even talked about Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments. Right? I mean, there were Sabbaths on moon, new moon days. There were Sabbaths on feast days. Time was measured in Sabbath. Uh, every seven days, they would have a Sabbath. And, and Hebrews tells us as Christians, Hebrews 4.3, if you're taking notes to read it later, that right now, by faith, we have entered into the rest the Sabbath pointed to. Right now. So for the Christian, our week begins with Resurrection Sunday, the day when we remember that Jesus brought us into God's rest, where we don't have to work unrealistically to get God's pleasure because we already have it bought and paid for by Jesus. Right. And there's much more that can be said about the Sabbath and we can talk about it running out of time here, but eating and drinking. Right. Belonging to God is not determined by what you eat or drink. Right. It's determined by whether or not you're in Christ, according to Paul. So therefore don't let anyone judge you based on whether you, what you eat or drink. Instead, we get to ask, this is Paul in Romans, how do I love and serve others with my food and my drink? Right. All that shadows compared to what we have in Christ Jesus. Um, if God was abundantly, abundant in mercy in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul says that's what we get to celebrate now. We have an abundance of mercy that we see more clearly now in Christ because we have the body. So all those feasts, all those festivals, if we had more time, we could show specifically how, well, the only feast we celebrate uh, regularly is communion, the Lord's Supper. We taste of the Lord's body broken for us, where we drink of his blood shed for us for the forgiveness, for the remission of sins, as a taste of that day to come when death will be defeated and we will finally experience rest from all of our enemies, right? So the, here in the argument, right? Paul's saying, don't let anyone judge you by these Old Testament practices. If they are, show them Jesus, show them the substance. Right? And if, if you're not sure how to do that, that's, that's part of why we, we just did what we just did. All right, keep, keep going here and let's, we're almost done. Don't, don't be disqualified, Paul says. And 
I spent a lot of time on the Bible on the Old Testament because that's 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 some of the strangest things that we don't normally think about because it's in Leviticus and that's when we tend to our eyes glaze over when you're reading the scriptures and it, it's harder to understand because it's cross-cultural experience. Paul says in verse 18, this could be addressed to Jew and Gentile, but he's saying, don't let anyone disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in on details about visions they've seen, about going up into heaven, seeing worshiping with the angels. They're just puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. I mean, there, there's all kinds of ways to do this, but in, in the Hebrew practice, this is what you would do. You would beat your body up. You would fast. You would look, you'd be in sackcloth and ashes. You would show a sad face that you're repenting. And this is what happened to Daniel. And this is what happened to Ezekiel and some of these old Testament prophets. When they did that, God like yanked them from earth into heaven and gave them a vision of what he was doing. So just imagine you're in church and someone says, oh, by the way, I was reading my Bible and I had this amazing experience where I got to see heaven. And, and Paul says, you don't need that. And don't let anyone disqualify you based on their private, individual, spiritual, mystical experience. Right? This, this asceticism, this worship with angels of participating in heaven. Uh, this, is a, this is a harder passage. So commentators aren't sure exactly what he means about the worshiping angels. If it's a, an angel's cult or if it's joining with them and, and just being in heaven with God. Right? But Paul's argument is if you do that, you're, you're, if you're pushing people down to say, you need my spiritual experience uh, to have this heaven experience, you're just puffed up full of hot air. It's an expression of your ego. And ironically, if you do that, thinking you're using your head to be transported somewhere else, Paul describes you as headless. Right? You're not holding fast to the head, to Jesus. And that's the big idea. It's, it's the same idea of what he just said about the Old Testament practices. You cannot get any closer to God than being in Christ right now. because we're connected to his body. We are made of the same divine nature, right? The same substance. That's what, that's what we're partakers of the same divine nature. That's what Peter would say, right? He loves us like he loves his own body. And maybe you've experienced this kind of guilt, uh, this kind of being shamed of where someone says, you got to speak in tongues like I speak in tongues or you get in a conversation and someone says, God told me to tell you what to do. <laughs> Which is real convenient when he doesn't tell me what you're going to tell me. See, what, what Paul is really pushing on is, is Christ-centered Christian community that makes the church safe. And everything you need for Christian community, faith, and practice we have in Christ. Therefore, hold fast to the head, to Jesus. And by holding on to him together as a community, God will grow us, he will nourish us, he will knit us together, we'll become more mature, we'll become more like Jesus. So how do you apply all this? I know it's a lot of information, I hope your brain hasn't gone to mush yet. 
if you're asleep, this is the time to wake up and you'll just have to go back and watch it on Facebook later. <laughs> but Paul, in this passage, even though I, I pulled out to do a biblical theology, um, he's giving us the ingredients to grow a Jesus-centered, gospel-focused church here in Boston Spa. It's strange to do this while we're, we're separated, but I think it'll help you long for this kind of church, right? Where there's room for different cultural practices together, Jew and Gentile. That's part of where he's getting at. Where, where you give people room to interact with Jesus without pushing judgment on them, right? Make it safe for sinners to figure out who Jesus is. So one of the one of the ways I really like uh, talking about church and creating a gospel-centered, a Christ-centered culture here at Hope is we need three things, right? Jesus plus time and safety will grow a, a Christ-centered church, and it'll be a, a gift from God, just like all these feasts. Got to spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be in Christ and how good that is. Um, that's what Paul does in all of his letters. That's how he starts them. You're in Christ. Just spend a lot of time thinking about unfair and astounding and shocking God's grace is. That the reality, the substance, the body we have in Christ. Um, that he just gives us forgiveness that we don't deserve. The more you meditate on that, it's going to create a culture of humility because we're holding fast to the head rather than our own spiritual practices, which, which spiritual practices are a good thing. We can talk about that if you want. So we need a lot of Jesus. You need to feel safe. Jesus plus safety, right? That's, that's what Paul's getting at. Don't let anyone pass judgment. We don't want to be the ones passing judgment. Unnecessarily so because all that judgment of God made that other person legally righteous in God's eyes, if they're a Christian. So we want to be a church, a community that works hard to not fling around unbiblical condemnation. We also want to be a church that corrects one another, but to do so in love, because we're connected to Jesus. So Jesus plus safety, all right, no condemnation. No condemnation, working those implications out. And lastly, time. Right? Paul says that we need to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together and grows with the growth from God. How do bodies grow? Well, picture a body. Well, this is what it's like with my kids. They eat, they drink, we, we love them. And then like in two months, we'll turn around and say, when did you grow up? You know, how did you learn that practice? It's a, it's a growth that just happens. And, and what Paul is getting at is, as you feed on Christ, as you love one another, and we do that together in Christ, we grow like a body grows. It's a gift from God. He matures us. He nourishes us as we feed on Christ by faith and all of his benefits. We feed on his love, and it's like food. It nourishes us. So we started with that question, do you need church? Uh, Paul's answer is yes, even though there is, every church is imperfect. 
because we need to hold fast together as a body to be nourished together to learn these things how do you learn to read the bible to, to hear the gospel we need a community that that's doing that together but to do so knit together or if you pull on on the nate thread you get you get all of you as well and if you pull on john the whole church comes with us because we're all knit together in christ right? we're we're bound together but as as we work on this lots of jesus lots of safety and lots of time God's going to grow us as a church, and I pray he would do that. Let's pray together. Father, this was uh, just a great meditation on the good news of what you have done in Jesus. And so I pray that it was helpful, that it was encouraging, that we would be astounded at the riches and, and the glories and the praises of your grace to us. You, we are treated better than we deserve even though we are more sinful than we can imagine. So may you grow Hope Church into a place that is safe for people to figure out who Jesus is, what he has done, that we might grow together. So bless us, keep us, and, and may these things be so, is that we would grow with the growth that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's... Um, respond. We're going to sing, Jesus, I am resting, resting. John's going to lead us.
Goodness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever resting, resting, fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Here's a benediction. Uh, this is a good word from our God. Uh, he sends us out with a blessing. Now to you who were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, who have now been reconciled to God through the death of Christ, who have been brought into his presence and stand holy and blameless before him without fault, may you go out now in joy and be led forth in peace until we hear the mountains burst into song before you and we see all the trees of the field clap their hands and the new creation. So go now as witnesses of Christ who loves you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this point, I'm going to sign off from Facebook Live. Um, thanks for joining us, those who were there. And if you want to hang out and talk about the sermon, I'll be happy to do that. But I'm also going to turn on the breakout rooms. And uh, yeah, but thanks for joining us. It's good to see your faces.